Good morning, anchors. It is Saturday, September 17, 2022, a great day for our future. We have 2,995 days left until Thanksgiving Day 2030. Here's today's questions from our anonymous confessional from buymeacoffee.com slash worldpeace. Free. Remember, this is entertainment. I am a real minister ordained by the Immaculate Church of the Internet. This way, we can be the world's most functional safe space. If you download the Anchor app, you can leave us voicemails. We'll play on our show. Anchor gives you the tools to make a podcast of your own. And together with World Peace Free, we can make it easy for everyone to be neighborly. Help us stay ad-free with just $3 virtual coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash worldpeace. Free. You can even message our show anonymously. Just make sure you click the button for privacy. Question number one. What's your advice for feelings of deep, hard failure? I'll take more time on this because when I answered it yesterday, it was really, really short. So I had some time to think about it. Failure shows you where you're vulnerable. It shows you that you're human. My advice during feelings of deep, hard failure is to lean into it. Because avoiding it is worse. But you also have to relieve your worries so your brain has space to make solutions. So here's a truth that works for me and takes away that burden. It's okay if life knocks you on your back because you'll either find what you need to get up or maybe Providence might send someone to lend a helping hand. Either way, it's proof that everything works together for good. And if you could keep your mind in this space, your eyes might find the solution in time. Question number two. With a title like World Peace for Free, I was wondering if you actually have a solution on how to run this country slash world. What would you do if you were president of the world? <laughs> Sounds like Norm MacDonald. All right, well, it's funny because I actually made a plan. And after two years of like personal market research, I feel we found the simplest path toward reduced crime, homelessness, and heartbreak from sending our kids to war. Not just our nation, but every nation. In summary, this plan will kill wasteful spending, homelessness, crime, and border issues. So we have the environment we'll, we need to become an interstellar family. First, I'd simplify and make two places to live, motivational districts and productivity counties. Then make homelessness illegal in productivity counties, so we could focus our resources to address the issues that cause homelessness in the first place. Some motivational districts can be sponsored by companies to pay its citizens to voluntarily live there for market research and data, thus creating an environment where all data can be used for good, with no reason for nefarious business practices or terrorist actions. The distinctive quality of productivity, productivity counties, it's in the name. People want to move there to get things done with no distractions. Homelessness will be illegal there, and so will street advertising. The best feature of the motivational districts is the motivational housing system that gives homes to citizens with social security numbers, but also spaces for members of non-traditional society to explore their individuality in a safe environment. Motivational districts will have a free education system with a curriculum that promotes dreams and methods that make them happen. This way, motivated citizens of all ages can learn, grow, and study while using the amenities of the companies that sponsor its municipalities and institutions. There will be no borders in the system, except non-Americans won't, non won't be allowed to work in the American production systems or reside in the productivity counties. Citizenship will be guarded by an updated patriotism test that describes our nation as the nation that exports entrepreneurs, problem solvers, and peacemakers. 
healthcare will be effective and free in this system because of the innovations created by the data gathered in the motivational city-states. Currency will be supplemented by a universal income system through society coin, a cryptocurrency backed by 10% of our GDP and voluntary investments by our own citizens. This way, the better our country, our, the country is doing, the fatter our crypto wallets will be. We call it society coin because citizens can vote which of their neighbors deserve a higher monthly allotment of the universal income system. Police, gender, and abortion issues will be non-existent because people will naturally find celebrity through good people, ministries, and nonprofits that actually serve the places they choose to live in. The goal is to evolve to the, the goal is to evolve the social security model to allow for comfortable retirement and environment for all American citizens. Is it a pipe dream? Who knows? All I want is a good environment to raise my future hypothetical family. And so far, the only alternative is, you will own nothing and be happy. And I don't want that future for my kids, do you? Tomorrow's question. I noticed something going on with your Instagram. Are you re finally ready to go out there with your message? I'll tell you tomorrow. Of course, the answer is always available for our locals on wpff.locals.com. You can listen to the podcast there, Spotify, or Anchor. But only locals could break space time with us. Let's do the YouTube intro. Welcome to World Peace. Free. Everyone's favorite audience-generated museum of events until 2030. I'm your time-traveling host, and you're in the future. So if you haven't yet, please subscribe so we can be the biggest YouTube channel not part of the Ad Money program. Today is Info Silo Saturday. Educational content you could put in your information silos. I'm not here to judge, just here to listen and give honest opinions. Quite, uh, clip number one. Want to learn about the Sharia law from Wyon News? Your show is the perfect vehicle to share this stuff because all the other podcasts make heavy discussions about everything. I've never been interested about religion until I realized this whole Afghanistan thing has gotten serious. I wanted to know about the laws the people will be going through over there since we left. And the best way to describe it is through the news station your listeners share a lot. It's so refreshing to see people watch news like they drive a car. Left, right, center, left, right, center. I hope this email finds you. Love, Angelina Broly. Oh, I love that name. That was that's a good that's a good bro joke. Um, yeah, I hear you. I hear what you're talking about, especially that part where you where you talked about it's refreshing to see people watch news like they drive a car. Left, right, center, left, right, center. It's good when you, people are watching news from all uh, all sides, and it's interesting. I saw another clip. I'm I'm gonna be watching. I'm gonna be sharing it soon, where um, more people from a YouTube channel called The Hill which supposedly was supposed to change the model, like, or evolve the model of CNN by letting all, like, letting its news anchors from, like, um, letting news anchors from one side, uh, left, right, left side and right side and center to talk and converse after every news item. And uh, maybe they corporatized it too much, but long story short, there's more anchors that, like, broke away from the hill and started a new, uh, and got on a new show with Crystal and Cigar from Breaking Points, and more people, uh, anchors from the hill. So you, we're kind of in this environment where we can see the evolution of how we get our information. I, it's, I feel it's really exciting. Anyway, let's go ahead and play this clip from Gravitas. Uh, if you guys haven't heard about Why on News, oh my gosh, like it's, I feel like it's very non-biased. I am not sure. But let me know in the comments below because, well, like that's the whole point. We are the world's most functional safe space. I will moderate. I will uh, mediate. 
Uh, that's all I want. I want the best environment for the kids of our kids. And we need to create that environment by showing people having conversations. Showing Specifically, showing people that have differences have conversations. Let's check this out. Now this show, this clip is from Gravitas Plus and it has 3 million views and it describe, in nine minutes it describes to you what Sharia law will be like for the folks in Afghanistan. Here we go. There was a time when Afghanistan was a modern state. Faith was a private matter. Burqas were optional. Women and men could travel together. Right next door, Iran was not far behind. It was at par with the Western world. Women could step out without a wheel even meet men at public places. But the Iran and Afghanistan of today are a lot different. Today, hijab is mandatory. Western clothing is frowned upon. Clerics dictate societal norms. Religious police patrols the streets. Wow, Civil rights are all but non-existent. What happened in these countries? They came under the Sharia law. Hello and welcome to Gravitas Plus. I'm Palki Sharma Upadhyay and I come to you with arguably the most controversial concept in the world, the concept of Sharia. It's back in the news after the Taliban took over Kabul. They plan to rule Afghanistan under the Sharia law, under the Taliban's version of the Sharia law. What does that mean? What will change in Afghanistan? What place does the Sharia have in this day and age? How many people in the world follow it? Why is it so controversial? Why does the world fear it will take Afghanistan further back in time? We've spoken to a lot of scholars and experts to put this report together. We'll try to answer all these questions, starting with the first question, what is the Sharia? To many, the word conjures horrors of hands being cut off, of adulterers being beaten and women being oppressed. In fact, no religious law has ever had worse press as the Sharia has in recent times. Why is that so? Thanks to the misrepresentation, manipulation and misuse of the Sharia, by whom? Islamic regimes, politicians, clerics, radicals, terrorists, they've all used the Sharia to rule in the name of God. So coming back to the question, what is the Sharia? Well, there is no clear definition. Different people understand and apply the Sharia in different ways. But if we put the broad concepts together, this is what a definition would sound like. The Sharia is Islam's legal and spiritual system, both divine and philosophical. Divine because it is said to be God's will for humankind. Philosophical because it is based on the human understanding of what that divine will is. In Arabic, the Sharia translates to the clear, well-trodden path to water. The human interpretation of Sharia is called the fiqh, which literally means understanding. Now, these terms are used interchangeably, but they're not the same. Sharia is considered divine, permanent, infallible, but its understanding is human. It's a set of rules put together by Muslim scholars over the centuries. These rules have been drafted and applied to suit those in power. Where do the rules come from? Three sources. The Quran, which is Islam's holy book. The Sunnah, which is basically the deeds of Prophet Muhammad. And the Hadith, the sayings of the Prophet. There's a range of other sources to work out how God wants Muslims to live. But there is no single law book, no definite statute, no set judicial precedent to determine what the Sharia is. It's basically a vast collection of different, often conflicting interpretations. These interpretations gave birth to five schools of thought, five legal schools of Sharia. And you must know this, there are different kinds of Sharia, you would say. Hanbali, Maliki, Shafi, Hanafi. These four belong to Sunni Islam. The fifth is a Shia version of Sharia. It's called Jafri. All five of them are named after theologists and jurists, the men who interpreted Islamic texts. Now look at this map. 
The Hanbali school is the smallest and strictest of them all. Its primary source is the Quran. It is practiced in Saudi Arabia and Qatar. It also has significant followers in these countries. The Maliki school of Sharia relies mostly on independent understanding of the Quran. It is predominantly found in African nations, the whole of West Africa, along with Chad, the Sudan and Kuwait. The Shafi school of Sharia relies on consensus over understanding of the Quran and this is where it's followed. East Africa and Southeast Asia and countries like Somalia, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Lower Egypt, Djibouti, the Maldives, Indonesia and small communities in Malaysia. Then we have the Hanafi school, the earliest, the most flexible version of the Sharia. It relies both on consensus and independent reasoning. The Hanafi school has the largest number of followers, approximately one third of Muslims worldwide. They live in Turkey, Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India and Bangladesh. And then we have the Jafri school of thought, followed only by Shia Muslims. It is enshrined in the constitution of Iran. It also has a lot of followers in Iraq and small pockets of followers the world over. So we have five different versions of the Sharia. How are they different? Not in the fundamentals of faith, but in their practice. There are differences in how they pray, how they resolve legal matters, how they settle marital disputes, how they deliver punishment for certain crimes. And this is understandable because no religion is uniform. But the problem begins when religion is mixed with governance. Many Muslims who embraced the Sharia thought of it as a substitute for the law of the land. And that's where the problem lies. The Sharia was just supposed to be a way of living. It was not meant to be associated with political power. When European colonialism began to spread, the crown and the church came together. The church was used to further the interest of the rulers. The same thing happened in Muslim kingdoms. And while European nations later separated the church from the state, many Islamic countries did not. France, Britain and other European powers had colonized much of West Asia, Africa and Asia. When they left, leaders of the newly formed Muslim-majority countries faced a dilemma. Should they govern based on previous Islamic values or should they embrace laws inherited from colonial rule? Well, they chose the Sharia as the basis of their legal justice system. And this gave birth to all kinds of theocracies, hardline and moderate. Countries like Algeria, Libya, Egypt, the Sudan, Syria, Iraq, Oman, Yemen, Pakistan, they all had the Sharia. Even countries which were not colonized by the West adopted the Sharia. In 1932, Saudi Arabia was formed as a theocratic monarchy. 1979, Iran witnessed an Islamic revolution. Until then, Iran was a secular monarchy. After the revolution, the clerics took power. The country became an Islamic republic. Then in 1996, the Taliban seized power in Afghanistan. They made it a terror regime based on the Sharia. What makes this law acceptable in some countries and horrific in others? It's understanding and implementation. Some countries enforce the most discriminatory and patriarchal aspects of the Sharia. They selectively picked certain verses from the Quran and legalized draconian practices like polygamy, triple talaq, genital mutation, they also enforced rules that had little or no basis in Islam. Research shows that most of these punishments were not sanctioned in the Quran. They were not practiced by the Prophet. Yet today, they've been made the highlights of the Sharia. They're being used to dictate daily lives of Muslims the world over. A lot of the followers do not understand this. They just stubbornly uphold ignorant and unjust practices. The Hold up, like this is where this is where I gotta stop because when you start saying like with language like this is this is what it is like that's a little bit like mansplaining and anyway, um, just, 
this is religious. This is really, oh man, where have I stepped in? Uh, Biggest victims of this are Muslim women. Does God judge differently based on gender? For many clerics, it does. Despite the fact that women worked and fought alongside the Prophet, they won't tell you this. In some countries, women cannot step out without an abaya or a veil, but men can dress the way they want. Women cannot stand for president, but men can govern for a lifetime. Women cannot choose to have an abortion, but men are allowed to have four wives. Women cannot travel without a male guardian. Women cannot drive. Women cannot retain custody of their children after divorce. And they receive half of what is awarded to their brothers in inheritance. The list of restrictions on women in the name of God is appalling. And the Sharia's misuse does not end there. It is cited to, Her opinion, by the way. to justify what they call the conquest mindset, to wage wars in the name of Islam, especially by terror outfits who portray themselves as more faithful than other Muslims. They use religious scholars in their ranks to make finely crafted arguments, to use religion as a pretext to perpetrate violence. They exploit people who have little understanding of Islam. They recruit them as foot soldiers to fight their politically motivated wars. Some join them in the name of faith, some in the name of their land, some for a good paycheck, and some because they're just murderous. But this is not the Sharia. Let me tell you something else. A lot of damage has been done in the name of religion by people from all faiths, by people from all cultures. That's true for the Sharia too. Yet it remains a way of life for 1.8 billion followers of Islam in more than 57 countries. See, that's why I like Wyan News. Yeah, she gives your opinion, but she also gives the other side. Like, this is why I love this kind of journalism. Does that make it acceptable? Who decides? And in which form? Here's what I think. All things, including religion, must evolve with time. If some practices are outdated, they must end. Religious law may not have a place in modern nation states governed by a constitution. If the Sharia's interpretation and practice clashes with today's way of life and social structures, then perhaps it's time for revision and reflection rather than resentment. Gravitas Plus, co-presented by Skoda, made of smart imagination. <laughs> I don't know why I, I kept that in there, but I, I like, I, all right, so let me get into this here. And let me do my best to just walk this line of like, okay, this is a hot topic now, but I wanted to learn about it. Like, what what else could I do other than look it up and be like, look up what's going on in in Afghanistan, realize that they're going to be, uh, they're going to be enforcing the Taliban version of Sharia law. And I was like, what? There's a versions of it, like just like how there's different denominations of Christianity. I got to dive into this. And then I clicked on this link, and then I looked it up, and then I was like, wowzer cakes. It's, there's a lot. There's a lot that um that I didn't. Well, that's the point of the world and the point of the internet. Of course, there's a lot of things you didn't know about things. Uh, the issue comes in when people, I guess, mansplain their opinion, and then like some people will start taking it as fact. But uh, the folks that take it as fact, they um, they're not trained like journalists. They're not trained like communication majors, where you have to, where you're just constantly criticizing everything around you, wondering the the sources of all information. Because you should, like that, if I want to norm, if the question of the, the, our forever question of the show is what should we normalize for the kids of our kids? What I want to normalize is folks asking people sources. And 
be comfortable with that and don't feel and and don't feel dumb when people ask you sources and you can't pull it up we have it's like if you just takes a few seconds get your phone out maybe if you could have your own organization system of of of, of bringing down uh like of of recording thoughts and that's the reason why we named our show uh our saturday show information silo saturday so that we could the normal uh so we could normalize you know organizing information in a way that we could share it nicely with talk about nuance and speaking of nuance this is what like when she when other folks talk about like this is the reason why i enjoy the um this on the topic of religion this is the reason why i enjoy the 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 people that practice practice masonry i don't know if that's what it's said what it's called when you when you're a mason person but uh that's the reason why whenever I see like their logos of their supposedly secret organization, I enjoy talking with them. And because they're one of the things that a lot of people don't know about the Masons is I feel like I'm true right with this. You guys could clarify if I'm if I'm wrong. But in order for you to be a Mason, you have to have your own religion. It could be Buddhist or whatever, but you have to believe in something. And the fact like that fact right there is why I love talking with them, because they like they they're kind of like us like they want to they want to be able to talk about nuance of things and dive deeper into the into the mortars of uh, uh, mortar and bricks of our lives i hope i made that analogy right but once again i am a luddite just learning things along the way <laughs> and trying my best not to say anything stupid along the way too and i don't want to aggravate folks like I'm, we're just i'm just showing everybody that we're we're all human beings here and all human beings the one thing that uh, that unites all of us is the fact that we have to learn second by second we're, we're minute by minute and and all we all we have is the data that's in front of us and which means that there technically is no stupid stupid questions I really hated that when people, uh, when when teachers would would ask you if like, oh, are you asking me a stupid question? Because eventually, when you ask enough stupid questions, there won't be any stupid questions left. All of us are in line that way. But uh, I don't know. People want to bully intellectually and physically too. So yeah, let's we'll figure it out. But um, what I noticed from this is I I kind of feel I I feel it now. The world really is separated by the religious and non-religious and. What I worry is that um, the non-religious folks like really, really, really want to kill religion, but also like, the fact that we have terrorists out there mean, means that there's religious folk that really, really want to kill the non-religious, and that's not right, especially when we're supposed to be working together to become an interstellar family. But I don't know. I digress. I worry when folks. I do worry when folks in the in the West call other cultures draconian because that's not I guess it's not inclusive language am I using that right because if you're gonna call somebody else's practices draconian well that's a thing though oh genital mutilation god I don't want to normalize that Woo! we gotta once again this is why we're here we gotta be able to create a space where we could just like hey let me I would love to talk to an expert that that wants that in our in our lives, or want to practice that, um, or want a, pl- a space to practice their religion that involves stuff like that in a safe manner, and let let the laws of capitalism come in because obviously, well, I don't know because here's what I like about capitalism: the the market will decide which is which is which works for them, you know. Anyway, clip number two. 
This one tells you why the U.S. is the only country without universal health care. I hear you're making a day dedicated to learning. I follow this creator for financial information about our world today. This one is about why the U.S. is the only country without universal health care. It's nice to hear from people who, that aren't bought. Well, even better when I know it's from you. Oh, when are you getting sponsors, buddy? Sincerely, C Christopher Brolin. Ah, I like that bro joke, too. You guys are getting clever, cleverer and cleverer by the day. That's the point of this show, so we can all grow clever. Bah. Let me ask you a question. What price would you put on a human life? Oh. Well, according to the US, it's $7,000. That's the average yearly cost for health insurance. The US spends more on healthcare than any other country, yet ranks last in quality of care amongst wealthy nations and still charges its citizens for treatment. It's a system run entirely by profit that overcharges patients by billions each year and where the science changes depending on who is profiting off it. In the US, medical personnel are treated as celebrities, not professionals, where people like Anthony Fauci are seen as saviors to some and are cursed as villains by others. So why is the system so broken? Of course, it's got everything to do with money and how a handful of companies have turned healthcare into a trillion dollar scam that only values profits instead of human lives. To almost all foreigners, the US healthcare system looks like a complete dumpster fire. Yet to a lot of Americans, this seems normal and to some even kind of great. But in reality, this is far from normal. And first, I just wanna share some stats that will illustrate just how bad the situation in the US really is. In Canada, a vial of insulin costs around $30, but in in the United States, the same medication made in the same factory costs 10 times as much. In Australia, the HIV drug Truvada costs $8. In the US, well, it's $2,000. With $2, such high costs, health insurance in the US is considered almost essential. But even when insured, many Americans still have trouble paying their medical bills. 63% reported using up most or all their savings to pay for treatment, and over 40% had to get a second job to just cover the costs. The high cost of healthcare is such a massive problem. It's estimated two thirds of all personal bankruptcies in the US are tied to medical expenses, which amounts to over half a million families going bankrupt each year. Year, but this isn't normal in the rest of the world. As of today, the US is the only developed country on earth without universal healthcare. And even in the developing world, many poorer countries already provide free healthcare to citizens. Some examples include Iran, Botswana, Cuba, Rwanda, and Pakistan. Now, as someone who has lived her whole entire life in places with free healthcare, this seems insane to me. So why is the US still so resistant to something that so many people consider as a basic human right? As you might expect, it has has everything to do with manipulation by big business and its health insurers who are the first players in this big healthcare scam of America. This is a relatively normal medical bill in the US, over $360,000 for an 11 day stay in hospital. Thankfully, this patient had insurance to help them deal with the immense cost. Firstly, the insurance company negotiated a discount on the hospital bill of around $260,000, leaving just $100,000 remaining. Insurance then covered almost all of this, leaving just $104 for the patient, saving them from paying a devastating financial cost. But here's the thing, the discount the insurance company negotiated is a scam created in partnerships with hospitals to make you believe that expensive health insurance is a good deal. One of the main selling points of US health insurance is that insurance companies are great at negotiating prices with hospitals, potentially saving patients thousands on their bills. Until recently, it was a very closely 
guarded secret what someone with insurance would pay for a certain service compared to someone without it. In short, everyone just had to take insurance companies on their word. But in 2020, the federal government ordered hospitals to release the price lists of services they negotiated with insurers. And immediately, it was obvious why they didn't want this information to be public. At one hospital, a colonoscopy for a person without insurance cost $782, but with insurance, over $2,000, almost three times the price. Or at the University of Pennsylvania Hospital, a pregnancy test without insurance costs only $10, but if you're insured, that same test costs almost 10 times more. Or as one news outlet put it simply, in many cases, insured patients are getting prices that are higher than they would if they pretended to have no coverage at all. In other words, the insurance companies are basically full of and the only reason that the discount looks so high that they've negotiated with hospitals is because they have a higher listed price in the first place, conning Americans into believing that they are getting a valuable service. Now, it is possible to negotiate these medical bills by yourself. However, this is another place where price manipulation happens so that the industry can ensure only insurance companies can play the game fairly. In one example, an uninsured man was billed for over $31,000 for around an hour of treatment. He wanted to negotiate a discount but because he wasn't insured, he had to do this by himself. But even though insurance companies regularly receive an 80% discount for treatment at the same hospital, they refused to give him the same discount, offering him a maximum discount of only 43%. The reason? According to one doctor, it was because the patient didn't have representation. In reality, this is the main benefit of being insured in the US, so that a hospital will agree to give you the lowest rate on care because you're a member of the insurance company's club. Or as one author put it, if you don't buy health insurance, hospitals have agreed to penalize you by putting a surcharge of several hundred percent on your medical bill. And due to the fact that there are almost no laws requiring reasonable pricing in healthcare, hospitals can effectively legally extort money from patients with these penalties. Basically, hospitals and insurance companies act like a mafia protection racket, and if you don't pay up to the insurance companies for protection, you risk being bankrupted or having your life ruined by huge medical bills. Now, at this point, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how this compares to your own medical system in your own country and if you are American I'd love to know your thoughts on what is going on at home. Now in a moment I'm going to share more about the insane price manipulation that is happening in the healthcare system but first I just want to mention we have an incredible newsletter of 65,000 people getting extra financial and freedom nuggets through beautifully written stories there's a link down below. Okay now back to the video. Now aside from insurance the price that Americans pay for healthcare is manipulated in many different areas and a lot of this happens in what you would assume is basic essential healthcare for example childbirth and emergency visits in the US roughly 10,000 babies are born every day and about a third of them by c-section this rate of c-section births is more than twice the global average which is generally between 10 to 15 percent so why is this so high well according to reports this has nothing to do with the well-being of the mother and the child and quite simply it's because hospitals get paid five thousand dollars on average more for performing c-section compared to a natural birth meaning doctors are incentivized to slice women open even when it's unnecessary and do you want to hold your baby after that c-section the hospital may bill you for that as well adding 40 dollars to your tab 
for skin-to-skin -skin contact. This overcharging exists in almost every area of the medical system, even in life-threatening emergency visits. In the US, ER visits are coded by severity and given a number between one and five. The higher the level, the more a hospital gets paid. Over the past two decades, hospitals and doctors have learned there's great profit in upcoding visits. And over a seven year period, level five visits for injured people grew steadily by 45%, putting more money in the pockets of hospitals. And really, very little can be done to stop this practice. Because as one publication put it, the insurer isn't an exam room to know what transpired. Now you might think that this apparent corruption is the fault of the staff themselves, but before you grab a pitchfork, let's look at the real culprits behind this profit mongering. And as you might expect, the suspects are the companies that I've spoken about many times on this channel before. Unlike most of the rest of the world, the entire US healthcare system is for profit, meaning it exists to make money, not to serve people's needs. Blackstone is one of the largest investment firms on the planet. In the US, it owns Team Health, the nation's largest medical staffing company. Basically, if you go to hospital in the US, chances are your doctor or nurse is employed by them. Team Health is known for massively overcharging customers, with prices higher than 95% of other providers and nine times more than Medicare. And according to its own staff, this is all done by design, with one of Team Health's own executives saying the actual cost of treatment isn't a factor in how the company sets its prices, meaning Team Health can charge whatever they want for care, resulting in billions flowing back to Blackstone and the company's rich investors. Overall, Americans really only have the illusion of choice when it comes to their health decisions, because almost every publicly traded hospital, medical, and pharma company is owned at least in part by one of the two companies. The names are BlackRock and Vanguard, companies you've likely heard of before. And together, they're amongst the largest shareholders of the entire US healthcare system. Effectively, these companies have almost complete control over the entire US healthcare system. And it's really hard to imagine that these for-profit investment firms aren't abusing the system for their own financial gain. And whenever there is abuse, there's always a victim. And as always, it's usually the poorest people in society that suffer the most. Rising costs means that over a decade, the number of people without health insurance in the US has risen by over 35%, meaning many in the US don't seek healthcare when needed because they simply can't afford it. Increasingly, stories are circulating of Americans begging not to be taken to hospitals, even when seriously injured, with some seizure sufferers going so far as to wear a bracelet saying, do not call an ambulance, because they can't afford the $1,000 plus cost of a ride to the hospital. In the US today, 75% of women who seek abortions already live below the poverty line. But with the recent overturning of Roe versus Wade, economists say their situation is likely to get much worse, because it's most likely the poorest in society that will now be forced to carry unwanted pregnancies to full term or engage in dangerous medical procedures in order to abort, while wealthier women will be more likely to be able to afford to travel to a different state or country for an abortion, something that for those living in poverty might not be an option. So there is a lot of evidence to show that the US healthcare system is really broken, but there are so many Americans that actually adore the US healthcare system and support it wholeheartedly. And this has probably something to do with the billions of dollars spent every single year by the medical industry on advertising and PR. And this allows them to construct a narrative to keep things exactly the way they are. In the US, the medical- You hear that guys? Construct a narrative to keep things the way they are. 
and pharmaceutical industry spends more on lobbying than any other by a big margin, spending double what the largest industry does each year, ensuring that they can get laws written to ensure that they can make as much profit as possible. They also spend billions in advertising each year, attempting to convince Americans the system works. But if it worked, the numbers wouldn't tell such a depressing story. Among the world's wealthy nations, life expectancy in the US is dropping the fastest. It's the only developed country where the maternal mortality rate when a mother dies during or after childbirth is increasing, not dropping. When medical error is the third largest killer in the country, accounting for 10% of all deaths each year, and where 92% of physicians admit they make decisions to avoid lawsuits instead of primarily for the good health of patients. In short, the reality is this. Where I live in Iceland, or the country I was born in, Australia, or practically any developed country on earth, I could cut off my finger on purpose and not worry about the financial costs. I would just go to hospital and get treated, and I wouldn't have to second guess whether I have insurance or not, and I wouldn't have to worry afterwards about a medical bill coming in and potentially bankrupting me. However, it is in the United States where this is almost exclusively not the case, and hopefully by now you can see who is responsible for this situation happening. So let me ask you again, what price would you put on a human life? Well, according to the US healthcare system, it seems that no price is too high. Uh, if you guys watched the, the the clip, the visual version of the show, by the way, we do have an audio-only version of the show, and that's another reason why I don't interrupt these, uh, uh, these, these clips. I do my best not to interrupt them. I let them speak, but uh, and only when they when like it's a it's obviously opinion, and I want to I want to I want to stop the stop the part of your brain that says oh this is fact this is fact. No, you have to. I recognize now that there's a lot of folks out there that don't know how to rec uh, recognize opinion when it's when it's there. But when it's presented like that, the way how this creator did it, and let's give him a shout out too. It's such a, it's so well put together, the editing. It's called Sorel Amor Finance. Oh wow, that's show almost to a million. Let's get her there. Let's let's, let's get her there, guys. It's the, the I think I've I've also seen her before and uh, and it's been recommended to me before. And the way how she does it for the visual for the audio only folks, they she she shows the article and the source in every single video. It's a really well put together. Please check her out. But I'm I gotta I'm just I'm trying to fill dead air here because right now I, those are gut punches. That entire clip was gut punches of just what's going on in our world. And I just found out recently that at the time of filming this, there's two million migrants that have come by. Uh, because, well, I mean, like, let's, we're not going to get into that right now. That's for another episode, but that, that's the fact. Uh, two million migrants have come by is, since the new administration has come in. And what she said in the end about poverty and people not being able to afford abortions, uh, regardless of what you feel about, uh, about bringing life into the world, when the system makes it so that it's just it's just gonna it's just gonna floor you it's when the system makes it so that if you make a bad decision medically it just bankrupts you there's just a lot of anxiety that goes through like right now while i was talking while she was just describing how much it costs to to have a baby in america i'm like well yeah never never i'm not doing that like, I have to really, really love the lady in order to have a baby. Now, who knows what that, like, what that, what that brings, but I, that's why our show here is 
what should we normalize for the kids of our kids? I don't want to normalize that kind of environment for my kids where they have to worry about every cut and scrape. That's not going to be, you're not going to be able to be productive at all. And long term wise, long term wise, it's not going to, this does not make a productive society. It makes an anxious anxiety, anxious, anxious society. And yes, of course, uh, that makes sense because if you want to make money on anxiety pills, make an anxious society and you will win. Things have to change. I'm so glad for that clip. It enlightened, enlightened me about the reality of where I live. Um, that's the beauty of the internet, especially when I am not watching what the algorithm wants me to watch. I'm watching what you guys want me to watch. And I really appreciate you guys for listening. I really, I'm really thankful for your comments and um, as, as we're kind of developing the show, please, uh, if you have a chance, please subscribe and, and, uh, and download the Anchor app so you can leave voicemails. I want to have a little segment for, for I want to make the audio only version of the show just like a radio show that you could pull up and listen for, uh, pull up and play for easy listening. But uh, once again, we needed to visually prove that there are two types of people in our society. People that exist to spread hate, humiliation, chaos, and division. And people that want peace. So we put it in our title, World Peace for Free. And guess what were the two main reactions? What's the show about? And... Are you Christian? Grr. So we figured it would be fun to be one of those internet-ordained ministers and open this anonymous confessional and free space. So everyone can have a place to ask stuff like, would you? Uh, how would George Carlin start a church? What would happen if the apostles had social media? And for the kids of our kids, what should we normalize? Let us know in the comments below. Even better, leave a voicemail for us at anchor.fm slash worldpeace for free. Share news and events you want to moralize in our comment sections. Remember, you are loved, missed, and thought about every day. Have fun and be neighborly, y'all. Take care.